Hurry back, hurry back, oh my love, hurry back, I am yours. Return to me. Welcome to the American Writers, 100 Pages at a Time podcast. This podcast is just one guy reading through the Library of America collection, 100 pages at a time. In this episode, we will continue our study of Herman Melville's impressive failure, Marty. The first 50 pages of the novel are mostly in the realm of realism. A sailor deserts with a companion by stealing a whaling boat. They meet two Pacific Islanders on an otherwise empty ship. When the ship is lost at sea, they are again in dire straits. They find a priest with some victims he plans to use in a sacrifice. They liberate these people, one of whom is a pale-skinned, blonde-haired woman named Ila. The narrator falls in love with her almost immediately. We learn of the apparent supernatural, or at least mythological, background of this character. In the next 50 or so chapters, we see important things happen. One is that the novel slowly becomes more fantastic. Our narrator takes on the name of the god Taji. His real companions leave him. Characters just up and disappear. By the midpoint of the novel, we're not even in the Pacific Islands anymore, revealed by the fact that the characters from the islands seem to be well-versed in Western history, for instance. For the second quarter of the novel, they enter the land of Mardi. Mardi just means the world in, in a Polynesian language. This really is a different world with different rules. It may as well be H.P. Lovecraft's dreamlands, or our narrator's dream for that matter. In this section, uh, we'll, he also meet and develop relationships with four major companions. The first of these is Medi, or sorry, Medea, the king of Odo, uh, which is an island in Mardi. And he later becomes the leader in the quest for Ila. The second character he meets here is Babalanja, who is a philosopher. He's often the cornerstone of debates on various philosophical issues throughout the, the novel. Mohi is the third character. He's a chronicler and a historian who becomes the main, point of inf main source of information about the islands. He is old and near the end of his career. And then we have the youngest character, a poet named Yumi. He's a young, very vibrant, and very creative, and he kind of resembles the youthful side of creativity. So in a sense, we have three of the seven muses present. Okay, though, let's think about this a bit. We got a, our historian, who's an old man, and he functions pretty much throughout this part of the novel as a rumor monger. It is not that he's usually wrong. He usually seems to be correct about the places they go. But all he can do is relate what others have told him, what he's read about, or what he's heard. He's basically the most uncreative figure in the novel. Our philosopher is middle-aged. He's the major voice in the book, for, in a lot of ways, more so than the narrator. But he's not without his problems. He uses rhetoric and sophistry. He often talks in circles. He's also pretty loyal to his mentor, another famous philosopher, so his own creativity is suspect. He has interesting ideas and he seems to be able to develop them, but it's never quite clear if he's developing them for fun, to impress his audience, or just for his own interests. This, these contradictions are pointed out by other characters at, at some points. Now our poet and artist is the youngest. When he speaks, it is very succinct and clear. He often cuts through Babalanja's rhetoric with ease. And not uncommonly, he's the victor in various philosophical debates. So it seems that youth wins this competition 
for creativity and truth, and age loses it. Um, so I think we can just think about that a little bit as we approach this part of this novel, that perhaps Melville is really saying something about the, the creativity of art and the relative uh, mundane nature of chronicling and, and history. The structure of the novel becomes pretty predictable at this point on as well. They, would journey, they journey to an island, the characters journey to an island. Mohi will give some background on the place based on what he's heard or read. Uh, they'll land the canoe. They'll meet the local king or maybe some other dignitary. There's usually some event that allows them to learn more of the island and its society. There might be philosophical debates that emerge with the residents of the, of the island or with um, amongst themselves. They'll learn that Ela is not on the island, and then they go off to another place looking for her. While at sea, Babalanja and Medea talk philosophy, and Yumi is occasionally inspired to write a poem or sing a song. What meanwhile, Taji, our narrator, just kind of sits and observes most of this. In fact, there's huge periods of text in this book, 50 pages or sometimes even more, in which the character Taji, our narrator, barely says anything. I mean, he's obviously recording the, the text, but he doesn't really participate in anything that's going on in the action of the novel. It's kind of an odd uh, choice. In the second quarter of the novel, the realism is slowly peeled away until about the midpoint of the novel, all grounding with the earlier part of the story is gone. This includes getting rid, as I suggested before, getting rid of the older characters. Their first destination after saving Ela is Odo. Now, um, this is the realm of this King Medea. The narrator is taken by the residents to be the god Taji, and that actually becomes his name for essentially the rest of the, no the novel. They learn that they're in the lands of, of Mardi. Medea is a simple but an absolute king. Medea is actually a very harsh critic of democracy, at one point saying this, Subjects, so long as I live, I will rule you and judge you alone. And though you have kneeled before me till you grew into the ground and there took root, no ye to your petition will ever get from this throne. I am king, ye are slaves. Mine to command, yours to obey. And this hour I decree that henceforth no gibberish of bulwarks or bulkheads be heard in this land. On and on. So he sees himself clearly as an absolute monarch. Before Ela disappears, there's actually a chapter called Taji retires from the world. Uh, it's just another sign that at this part of the novel, we're flipping into pure fantasy. We get some of the social context uh, of the island of Odo at this point with a focus on the work regime of the island. Um, certainly they have um, slavery, and that's admitted to. This is uh, the narrator. Toil is man's allotment, toil of brain or toil of hands, or a grief that's more than either, the grief and sin of idleness. But when man toils or slays himself for masters who withheld the life he gives to them, then, then, the soul screams out in every sinew cracks. So with these poor serfs, and few of them could choose but be the brutes they seemed. Um, so Odo's not a particularly utopian land by any stretch of the imagination. Um, work is at the center of it, slavery is at the center of it. Um, now at some point during their stay in Odo, Ela vanishes. Um, and then Taji goes off with his new companions. Babalanja the philosopher, Medea the king, Yumi the poet, and Mohi the historian. Samoa comes along as well, 
as does Jarl. So you still have these remnants of his old, earlier, more realistic adventures tagging along. Um, we're also introduced to another character at this point, Hoshia. This is a queen who sends emissaries to meet Taji. We don't actually meet this queen, but we hear of her uh, through these emissaries. They always come bearing flowers or expressing themselves in some strange cryptic phrases. Later in the second quarter of the novel, we learn that there's another threat to our heroes, um, and that are the Avengers. These are pe people seeking out revenge for the death of Alima, the priest who originally controlled Ela, but was killed by Taji and his companions when they rescued her. And they're going to follow um, Taji literally to the last page of the novel. So now with, uh, they enter the land of Marty, they have a new set of companions, and they have a quest. This quest is seeking out um, Ela. And they set out. The first violin they, they visit is Valapi, the so-called Island of Yams. It's ruled by a young boy named Pepe. Here we learn about the Mardian custom of using teeth of dead humans for money. Um, in Valapay, this is a quote Melville, in Valapay prevails not the barbarous Hindu custom of offering up widows to the shades of their lords, for bereave the widows here marry again, nor yet prevails the savage Hawaiian custom of offering up teeth to the masses of the dead, for at the decease of a friend, the people rob not their own mouths to testify their woe. On the contrary, they extract the teeth from the departed, distributing them, them amongst their mourners for memorial legacies. As elsewhere, silver spoons are bestowed. So money be, be, actually ends up becoming a form of currency throughout um, uh, this uh, Marty. Now, Hosha's handmaidens again find them. They follow them to this island of Alape, and Taji is warned by them. Oh, sorry, Taji is warned by his companions to watch out for this Hosha, that she's a dangerous um, queen. And we start to get the idea that Ela represents, is a female image of purity, um, and Hosha is an image of debauchery and sin. Um, now, whether that's how it fully develops up remains to be seen, but that seems to be the suggestion at this point of the story. So, um, they don't find Ela in this island, so they move on. They go to Wam, G-U-A-M, and it's ruled by Donja Lolo, who's known as the girl, a comely king. Uh, it's a kind of a dandy. He, he's a dandy. Uh, they spend some time here, but this island is highly decadent with all kinds of luxuries. And the king, in fact, has a massive harem, which is described in some detail. The characters spend quite a bit of time on Wam. Um, but there's this really wonderful description of this harem. I get the sense probably Melville was thinking of of maybe like the Ottoman Empire. Um, and this may be in, uh, him feminizing a little bit the, the Middle East. Um, well, one of the key events in this is their visit of this harem. And they spent a lot of time basically in luxury and enjoying their time. And, and they spent a fair amount of time here. Um, I think it's like 20 or 30 pages. It's one of the longer stays in the novel of Marty. Well, they fail to find e they fail to find Ela, of course. And by this time, it's pretty clear that the search for Ela is associated with the search for their ideal society. Virtually everywhere they go, they get they find a different society, a different social order, a different type of rule, and then in some way, 
it's not quite right, and therefore that cannot be a place Ela is found. Um, this is suggested on page 912 of the Library of America version, chapter 83. Quote, Still seeking Ela and still disappointed, we rove through the lands with the, which the chieftains ruled. Babalanja exclaimed, Let us depart, idle our search in islands that have viceroys for kings. End quote. So, Babalanja here is saying, you know, in a land that's not ideal, having viceroys for kings, you're not going to be able to find Ela, this symbol of, of purity and perfection. Um, in fact, this leads them to not even bother to land, land at the land of Norabama, which is a, an island occupied entirely by dreamers. Um, I actually kind of regret they didn't stop there, but I guess the, the, the novel is, is, is long enough. Next, they arrive at Ohonu, the Isle of Rogues, which is suggested to be a bit like Australia. Um, now, later in the novel, these allegories it's, are much clearer. It's obvious that certain areas are Britain, certain areas are Scotland, some areas are the United States, or at least kind of allegories for them. Earlier in the novel, some of the places they go, they don't have quite that strong association. This is one that does seem to be tied to Australia. It's ruled by a very ambitious leader named, named Uhia. He has the goal of ruling all Marty. But this island's kind of fascinating. The people here are surfers. They worship this ten-handed god. And it's, it's kind of fun. But um, they obviously don't stay here long. It's not going to be the kind of place that Ela will be found. And after leaving the Island of Rogues, Babalanja breaks up a fight between Mohi and Yumi over the relative merits of history and art. And this is um, not going to be the last major conflict in this regard, but it's, it's, it's one of the major ones. Um, it's really a big debate whether what's the best way to get truth via, via history or via art. Um, but it's revealed through this discussion because Babalanja tries to break it up. And, and, and I guess he's trying to fit in philosophy as a solution to these conflicts, but it's not really able to do it. Um, and here's a bit of the dialogue that seems to suggest that Philosophy also fails to resolve these conflicts. Mohi, said Bambalanja. Truth is in things and not in words. Truth is voiceless. So least saith old Barbadinia. And I, Bambalanja, assert that what are vulgarly called fictions are as much realities as the gross mattock of Dididi, the digger of trenches. For things visible are but conceits of the eye, things imaginative, concepts of the fantasy, a fancy. If duped by one, we're equally duped by the other. Clear as the water, said Yumi. Opaque as this paddle, said Mohi. But how come, thou oracle, if all things are deceptive, tell us what is truth? The old interrogatory. Did I not ask it when the world began? But ask it no more, as old Barbadina hath it. That question is more final than any answer. And that ends, ends the passage and ends this particular chapter. So it's kind of a suggestion here that there's really not much way to resolve this question of truth, at least at this point in uh, the philosophical development of, of the novel. They Next, they arrive at the island of Mondadola. And it, ha it has a jolly king called Barbadola. And he's very, I don't know, so he's described as jolly, um, Round all over, round of eye of head, and like the jolly round earth, roundest and biggest about the equator. A girdle of red was his equatonial line, giving his compactness to his plumpness. Um, 
So it's just a kind of a pleasant, uh, rather happy island. It's the kind of place we might expect uh, maybe someone like Ela could be. Um, Jarl actually comes to very much like the island and decides to stay behind. Um, Samoa tries at one point to save the life of a diver who was injured. And he fails and they have this elaborate funeral for them for him. After this, they are attacked by the Avengers. And here they really come out as a, as a threat to the party, threat to the companions. They then leave the island of the Jolly King to continue the search for Ela, but Jarl stays behind, partially because he seems to like the island, but also because he's kind of the rear guard to ensure that the Avengers cannot rally the island against Taji and create this kind of, I guess, a force that would be dangerous to them in Marty. Um, Samoa eventually also begins to stay behind with hopes of returning to Odo someday. So uh, at this point, we kind of lose those early companions of Taji. So Taji now is just Taji, Babalanja, Medea, Mohi, and, and Yumi. And then there's like the crew of, of the ships that they're taking. But we never actually meet those people. So it's just these kind of five people from now on in the novel and then the people they meet on the way. Part one of the story ends with Babalanja's theory that perhaps all men are possessed by devils. As they begin to sail away from this island of the Jolly King, they learn that the sons of Alima have escaped, and so there's still going to be a threat out there at the open seas. Um, so now that Melville has thrown off the last remnants of the realistic part of this adventure, he's free to enter into a more philosophical, speculative, symbolic, and allegorical tale, which is going to dominate the second half of the novel. Um, and this is also where we're going to stop for this episode and we'll pick it up next time and we'll see if Taji ever uh, is reunited with his love, Ila. Thank you for listening to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. Feel free, feel, feel free to contact me at 100pagescast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and share on iTunes. In the next part of Marty, our narrator, Taji, We'll take a back seat and become an observer of sorts. We'll also get two of Melville's most important philosophical tangents. The first is a prolonged critique of religion, and the second approaches the question of free will. So I will see you in 100 pages. Thanks for listening. Hurry home, hurry home, won't you please hurry home to my heart. My darling, 